I've got purple aura, man. <laughs> This episode is sponsored by Hired.com. Are you searching for a new job? That can be stressful, scary, and time-consuming. Pushy recruiters try to sell you on roles you don't actually want, and the job boards make you feel like you're throwing your resume into a black hole never to be seen again. And sometimes you go all the way through the interview process just to find out at the very end that the salary, offer, or company culture doesn't match what you're looking for. Hired is the world's most intelligent talent matching platform for full-time and contract opportunities in engineering development, design, product management, data science, sales, and marketing. We make your job search faster, focused, and stress-free. Instead of endlessly applying to companies and hoping for the best, Hired puts you in control of when and how you connect with compelling new opportunities. After completing one simple application, top employers apply to hire you. And on Hired, you receive personal interview requests and upfront salary information so you can make informed decisions about what opportunities to pursue over a condensed timeline. Hired offers access to more than 4,000 innovative employers, including big brand names like Facebook and smaller emerging startups. The size and type of company you want to connect with is totally up to you. And we help you find new opportunities in 17 major cities in North America, Europe, Asia, and Australia. Open to relocation? Let them know. Your privacy and autonomy in your job search is of utmost importance. So if you check them out at the show's link, that's hired.com slash freelancer show, you can get double their normal hiring bonus. That's $600 instead of $300. So go check them out at hired.com slash freelancer show. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 258 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Philip Morgan. Hello, hello. And Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And we are going to be talking about, this is a mouthful, positioning, outcomes, and states of market awareness. Boom. All right, guys, you, you got to explain what this means to, to me as well as our audience, I think. I'll start. So I am on one of the most valuable email lists that I know of, which is run by Jonathan Stark. And um, I don't know, it was a couple of weeks back, uh, Jonathan sent an email, which I'm going to ask him to uh, read or summarize your choice, Jonathan. Sure, I'll so, read it because okay. I think the specifics are will resonate with people. Okay, great. So, hello, Jonathan. Thank you so much for your insights. I'm a copywriter. My fundamental problem is that writing has become a devalued industry. Clients think it's easy or fun and they don't want to pay what it's worth. You're providing a highly technical skill and have an impressive background. Writing and branding are more fuzzy. And further, I can't talk about many of my projects because they're done under NDA, say for a startup or ad agency. So when there's a problem with perceived value to begin with, it is much harder to negotiate other terms except to stand firm. Any advice for consultants like myself? All right. And you want me to read my reply to I do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I kind of, kind of have to to set the context. It's a little long, so, you know, get a coffee. Um, Okay. Hi, Julie. Thanks for writing in with such a great question. It sounds like you might be suffering primarily from some combination of these two things. One, attracting the wrong clients or two, selling deliverables instead of outcomes. Don't have enough info to know if number one's an issue, but based on a quick scan of your homepage, number two is definitely an issue. Your homepage is focused on the activities that you undertake instead of the outcomes you provide to clients. For example, your headline is, so you need a writer. Let's say you sold drills instead of wrote copy for a living. Which of the following headlines do you think would be more effective at grabbing the attention of an ideal buyer? So you need a drill or so you need to hang a picture. Nobody needs a drill. They need a hole. The drill headline is focused on the tool. The picture headline focuses on the outcome. 
This is an important distinction because buyers may not know what outcomes a tool can provide. Therefore, it's impossible for them to connect the availability of the tool to an outcome that they desire. I hope that helps. All right. Okay. So that happened, and I was like, I hit reply within like 30 seconds. I'm like, well, well, <clears throat> clear, my, clear my throat here. <laughs> and I sent something back to Jonathan, which I think will be the basis for our discussion today. And what I said in essence, and, and I want to elaborate on because I think it'll be interesting to our audience for this program. I said essentially, yes, but <laughs> uh, there are cases where I think it can make sense in how you describe your services or how you position your, your business. To, it can make sense to talk about inputs to the process, such as your skill set or your self-applied job title, like your skill set would be, you know, I'm a great writer or uh, simply I'm a writer. If you're kind of giving yourself a job title, there are cases, not this particular one that, so, so I think Jonathan's advice as it stands for this particular case in this email is right on. But if you were to extrapolate from that and try to generate a rule of thumb from that, I think you would be missing some other cases where it can be beneficial to speak in terms of how you are an input to a process. And it has to do with commoditization and this other, this other concept, uh, which I'm going to go into in a little bit called states of market awareness. So that's the context for why we're having this discussion. And I don't even see it really even as a disagreement because, again, the way Jonathan's email was written for that specific case, it's it's like right on. But I think there's other cases where you get into these interesting subtleties of how you might describe yourself, really just even in a positioning statement, and you see some some sort of different things happening. So with yeah, that, I wanna, go ahead, Ruben. Oh, sorry. No, I, I, this sort of problem. Um, is so incredibly common. Maybe, maybe this particular woman writing, Julie, is experiencing it in a slightly different way because she's a copywriter or something. But this issue of like deliverables versus outcomes is, as, as far as I can tell, pervasive among technology consultants, right? Like, how long did I sell myself as a Rails developer, right? How long did I sell myself as a database expert? And I reached that ceiling in terms of what I could charge people. Because they saw me as, okay, well, I can get this Rails expert, this Rails expert, this Rails expert. And at a certain point, right, they're going to go for the cheaper ones. And at a certain point, I, it, it's, a, it's total commoditization, commoditization, I guess. And you reach that ceiling, and then you're really frustrated because you're like, well, I'm really much better than those other people. So why aren't they going with me? And the moment you start talking in terms of business and the outcomes – um, first of all, you end up talking to totally different people in the company. But second of all, you just just the way you project yourself, you talk about things, it's a totally different ballgame. It is, and it's not static. It's not the same for let's let's say uh, like with most technology life cycles, we could talk about a ten or twenty year uh, time period, and that would pretty well cover from the technology being brand new to market and or even like pre coming on the market and just being a sort of in a research lab or something somewhere, it would cover everything from that point in the life cycle of that technology to a pretty mature uh, place. Like, I don't think that really 
applies to, let's say, cars or things in the physical world that maybe take longer to reach maturity, but things like uh, programming languages or internet marketing approaches like pay-per-click advertising, stuff like that develops to maturity, in my experience, a lot faster. And so uh, I'm already getting in the weeds here because <laughs> this is where I live is in the weeds of uh, stuff like this. But <laughs> what my point right now is it's not static. So Reuven, I, I don't know when you, you know, what kind of time frame you're referencing, but there was probably a point at which it was completely appropriate for you to say, I provide the following inputs to some business process and that was perfectly serviceable as a way to describe what you did because the market itself was probably less mature at that time. And I'm saying probably. And right, right. Maybe. Oh, yeah, for sure. At the beginning, like in yeah. the early days of, say, Rails, right, if, if you basically said, I'm a Rails developer, the only other two things they checked were like, were you breathing and did you have a pulse? Right. Because right. The, the, the mere fact that you described yourself in that way made you stand out and you were solving what people perceived to be an important business problem, which is, oh, my God, I need to get some of those Rails developers. Right. But the moment yeah. it became more widespread, then, like, you don't care about getting a Rails developer. You care about, I mean, maybe you do, but that's sort of part of a larger um, sort of stew of things you're looking for. Yeah, Absolutely. And, and that's really just, that progression is, I want to say it's unfortunate, but it also is an engine that creates opportunity if you can uh, understand how it works and, and sort of see it in action. It's hard to see it in action because it takes place over, in most cases, years uh, or even decades rather than a shorter period of time. It's kind of like watching grass grow or watching paint dry. It does happen it, you know, at a perceptible pace, but it's just so slow that it's hard to really notice it. Okay, well, let me do this. I actually did a little homework for this episode, um, and I've brought in my, my brand new hard copy, hardcover copy of a book called Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene M. Schwartz. Oh, did that just come out? Mm. We were waiting for like a... Or did you buy it off Amazon? Uh, no, I did not buy like a $900 no. copy off Amazon. <laughs> yeah, I've been waiting for it. I signed up on a waiting list for that. I haven't gotten it yet. What? That sucks. Uh, I yeah. think I signed up for the same waiting list and uh, I did buy and receive a copy. Oh, excellent. Yeah. I'll check my spam folder. Yeah, I hope I didn't ruin your day there, buddy. But uh, <laughs> anyway, this is in the world of direct marketing. This is like one of, you know, three or five books that's considered like the Bible of direct marketing. So the author presents this concept called states of market awareness. And it really, it maps to, it's not just relevant to writing headlines, which is the context in which this information is given in the book. It, it really is relevant to all sorts of things in terms of how you understand what you, your clients want to see in your marketing and what they're going to respond to. And sometimes, like the way Jonathan put it in his email, sometimes they're going to say, I need a hole. <laughs> it needs to be three sixteenths of an inch. And uh, that's what I need. And other times uh, they're going to say, I need a three sixteenths inch drill. And where their head is at in terms of what they're thinking, in terms of inputs versus outcomes really, really matters. And, and I think by being able to understand that, you have a real uh, power in terms of uh, being able to do effective marketing. So the first state of awareness, I'll just 
read these real briefly from the book, um, is called Most Aware. The customer knows of your product, knows what it does, and knows uh, he wants it. And of course, all, this is an old book, so it's always going to say he. Um, <laughs> even does though, it provide any examples to kind of put it in context, even though it would be probably out of date? It does. Like a, uh, like a telephone? Yeah, is, it is does. Is that a telephone? Okay. It, this... Uh, the Revere Zomar Lens Electric Eye Camera, formerly 149.50, now only 119.95. Here's a better example, I think. The, the floor in your kitchen's dirty. Do you have any question whatsoever what tool you need to, to fix that problem of a dirty floor? Most people, it's like, no, they're going to, they have the tool already, most likely. If they don't have it, they know exactly what they want. They want, you know, they know they need a broom or a vacuum cleaner yeah, or a combination. Yeah, on the dirt. Yeah. Right. But there's no mystery about how to solve that problem. And so someone in the market for floor cleaning technology may do a little bit of comparative shopping, but they're mostly thinking, okay, where's the best deal? How can I get this with the least amount of hassle? They don't have a problem where they're unaware what the solution is. And so I compare that to you're going to Amazon you know you need, like in my case, I'm shopping for an air conditioner unit for my office, which is like a million degrees right now. <laughs> and uh, like I, there's just, it's, it's all comparative shopping. Like I, I'm not going to be persuaded that there's some new technology for cooling the interior of my office. Uh, I, and my head's just not there. I know that that's a pretty mature market and they have these things called air conditioners or fans. And uh, my task is simply finding the one that seems like the best combination of attributes. And most freelancers market themselves as if this is their market state of awareness. And in fact, uh, Jonathan, the, the email that you referenced in your email where they, uh, what was the headline on the Julie or Juliet site? Yeah, let me pull it back. Uh, so you need a writer, I think was the headline. Oh, on her site, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, great example of targeting that state of awareness. Um, she's positioning herself as, I'm a writer, you need a writer. There's no mystery about how you plan to solve the problem at hand. You plan to hire a writer, I am, I am a writer. That's the first state of awareness. The second state, um, the customer knows of your product but does not yet want it. So here your prospect is not completely aware of everything your product does and is not convinced of how well it does it or has not been told how much better it does that. Uh, or how much better it does what it does now with some update to the product or whatever. So uh, that's the second state of awareness. They know of the product, but they're not ready to buy is essentially, I think, what, what Schwartz is saying here. So what's that like? A luxury purchase maybe, or like, uh, I know I need a car, but I'm not ready to buy one sort of thing. Well, that's me. Uh, I mean, I think there's a number of ways that could manifest. That's me six months ago when I was like, hmm, this office is, uh, the building I have my office in is, was built in 1876. So there's no central heating or air. Mm. And, um, I'm like, hmm, I wonder what it's going to be like in the summer. So I, I know that there are these things called air conditioners, but I don't <laughs> want it yet because uh, I don't need it. Like it's a, the, the conditions are not right really for me to, to want that thing or to need mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. We could get into more detail, but I think that may take us a little bit too much into the weeds. The third state of awareness, your prospect either knows or recognizes immediately that he wants what the product does 
wants that 3 sixteenths inch hole, <laughs> but does not yet know that there is a product that will do it for him. So let's think of some examples that in, in the world of professional services that relate to, uh, to this. Like, let's say that I know, let's say I'm running some ad campaigns and I know they're performing badly, but I don't know who could fix that. That's, I think, a great example of this third state of awareness where I'm aware of the problem and I, maybe I know that there's a solution, but I don't know that there's, you know, some person that can optimize that. Is it, is it that there's a range of options and they don't know which one is going to solve the problem or they just, it's like unknown unknowns type of thing. So like I could, maybe it's, maybe, you know, I'm running these ad campaigns. Maybe the bigger problem is that my, the, the pages that they're going to on my site are terrible. You know, like where is the, where's the drop off happening and wherever the drop off is happening, there's a different solution at each of those points. Is it like that? Or is it more like, I don't know which Facebook ad expert to hire? Well, th think of this as a continuum. So, uh, there's five like identified points on the continuum as you move from, most aware of your product, and, and in this case, we would mean your services, dear freelancer. Um, uh, that's on the one end, most aware, and then least aware is on the other end. So we're at like three out of five. And really, uh, I think when I read the fourth one, you're going to say, wow, that sounds exactly like the third one. And I believe you would be right <laughs> if you said that. Like, I think you can kind of collapse those two. Got to remember that this information is, uh, I think it's super important, but it also has to be adapted to really be relevant to right. someone like a freelancer. So in this right. third state of awareness, again, I'll, I'll read it again. So the prospect either knows or recognizes immediately that he wants what the product does. So if you showed up, uh, like Jonathan, you always like to talk about the cocktail party situation. Yes. And let's say that I am person with badly performing paid advertising and I'm at a mm -hmm. cocktail party and I meet someone there and I'm like, so what do you do? Cause I'm just being polite. I don't really care what they do. And they say, well, I, you know, I fix badly performing paid advertising campaigns. There's an immediate connection between what I, I know that I like want in terms of an outcome, mm -hmm. but I didn't know that there was a solution and this solution just shows up right in front of me. So that's one way it might work out, or maybe I would go on the internet and say, how do I fix a badly performing uh, paid advertising campaign? And Right, and a Quora post pops up, and yeah, there's like five exactly. experts on there. Right. Yeah. So those are the kind of situations we're talking about, where there's just an awareness of the problem, but you, you don't really know that the specific solution that you're looking for the fourth state of awareness, the prospect has not a desire, but a need. Some of this language is kind of hard oh, to parse. Let, let, me, let, let me just, uh, but I yeah, yeah. say mm -hmm. this, what you just described in terms of knowing there's a problem and not knowing quite what the solution is. I mean, I feel like that's me with my car, <laughs> right? <laughs> like I know there's something wrong. I haven't the foggiest idea what the real problem is. And so I'll end up going to a garage and hope that they can sort of identify it. But right. they'll sometimes say, no, we don't do that. You need to go to such and such a specialist. Mm -hmm. How was I supposed to know that, right? Like, I, I just don't know. Right. Um, yeah, you need a diagnosis. Right. 
and and so that that's what I know. I mean, I guess also, Jonathan, you've you mentioned this many times in the past, and I, I really I really enjoyed it when you broke this down. There's a huge value to the diagnosis, mm-hmm. and often the value of the diagnosis is greater than the value of the solution. Right. Yep. Yeah, that's a great example. There's and and again, that kind of points out some of the gradations in this this state of awareness, which is sort of this middle ground. Uh, again, I, I could really collapse the third and fourth states of awareness together for freelancers, and, and we'll get to that fourth one in a moment. But I do that because maybe they don't know that you exist and you're, you provide a solution to this problem. Maybe they don't know that anybody provides a solution to this problem. I guess an example there is uh, one, of my, one of the guys in my mentoring program is looking into can he uh, really sell people on a, a sort of fixed price service migrating away from Heroku to AWS. And the problem there is like, God, we're spending all this money. We started with Heroku. Now it's become very expensive because our uh, usage is going up. It, you would be, uh, it would be very understandable if you were a CTO and just did not even know that there was an expert who specialized in that. So that's another way that that sort of unawareness of the solution could manifest is you don't even know that there are these kind of specialists. I mean, like when I lived in Portland <laughs> and was kind of hanging out with the, the sort of hippie new age scene there, you come across this all the time where you're, someone is like, oh yeah, I do this weird kind of healing. And you're like, I didn't even know that there was a problem that needed that kind of solution. <laughs> you know, you're just like, wow, that's so <laughs> far outside of my uh, awareness of what's going on there. I've got purple aura, man. <laughs> Okay, four state of awareness. Project, uh, prospect has not a desire but a need. He recognizes the need immediately. He does not yet realize the connection between the fulfillment of that need and your product. And again, I'll read the third state of awareness again. You'll see how similar these are. So third state of awareness. The prospect either knows or recognizes immediately that he wants what the product does but does not yet know that there is a product, your product, that will do it for him. So in a way... Yeah, that's, that's just confusingly worded because the first half of that sentence indicates that the prospect is aware of your product. And then the second half says that they aren't. Yeah. So, but I do, I do. So there's a, there's a thing happening here that I've, that is confused by the language that was used, which is there's a scenario, maybe it's number five where I know I have a problem and I know there's 12 things that might fix it. 12 distinctly different things at a wide range of price points. And I have no idea which one's going to be the most effective. Yeah, I agree. That's that's another, and it's almost useful to instead of breaking these down into different specific, you know, states of awareness. I, I almost see it useful as like there's almost just three. There's sort of the Amazon level of awareness where you're like, I need an air conditioner. I'm going to see what's on sale. I'm going to buy that mm-hmm. one, right? Mm-hmm. And then in the, there's this kind of blob in the middle of like I. Uh, have a problem, I don't know how to solve it, or I don't know who can solve it, or I see there's a dozen options for solving it, I have no way of understanding which option is superior. Right. Like those are all kind of, in in a way, they're the sort of the same challenge mm-hmm. for, for you, the freelancer, trying to sell your services. Mm-hmm. Fifth state of awareness, uh, the prospect is either not aware of his desire or need, or he will not honestly admit to it without being led into it by your ad. Yeah, that's called red flag. <laughs> but yeah, yes. Meaning what, like if you have to convince people that they need yeah. your solution, 
then you're going to spend all your time on the convincing and they're not going to be willing. They're not going to see the value. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You you know, uh, it's, it, it, that really is a, just a giant quagmire that we all, as uh, people selling professional services that involve some level of expertise, we want to avoid that completely because it takes so much effort to create even an awareness of, of the problem. Yeah. You just get bogged down. It's a nightmare. I, I talk to people all the time that do this. You know, they have some, they have some thing that they believe is inherently obviously valuable and they find somebody who obviously has the problem, but doesn't feel like they have the problem. And it just like relentlessly tries to convince them that they have a problem, which is the worst user experience of all time. It's like, no, no, you're super fat. You really need to lose weight. <laughs> you're much fatter than you should be. Yeah. You know, it's like so rude. Yeah. Yeah, Amy Hoy has a term I've heard her use for this called pilling the dog. Like if, if you've ever tried to give a dog medications, as I do six times a day with mine, oh. Um, oh. you have to, uh, You, I mean, I have one, by, this is going to, I cannot let myself go down this tangent. Um, why are not, why are all dog medications not chewable? I have this one medication that's in a chewable format and my dog loves it. <laughs> The rest, I have to, uh, you know, like concoct some way to make it appealing yeah, to him. Yeah. Well, perhaps, perhaps, Philip, this is a problem that dog pharmaceutical manufacturers are not aware exists. Seriously. <sighs> I, I do wonder about that because I would pay a premium for these medications. <laughs> anyway, yeah, if you didn't have to like try and wrap them in peanut butter every time and you're yeah. like, did I put the spoon back in my peanut butter with the dog medicine on it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, so th- that's the states of awareness. And I think we can really just think of as they know exactly on the one most aware. We know exactly what it is. We know where to find it. We just need a, a buy button, essentially. That's if you if you assume that that's where your your target client is and they're not there, your marketing is going to be super ineffective because mm-hmm. you're going to be it providing a feature list when they don't even know that they have a problem or they don't understand how to evaluate a feature list. Right. Like you're saying, Oh, you know, dripless spout or whatever it's drip, dripless operation. And it's like, I don't even know. Okay. What are we <laughs> right. even talking about? Right. You know, if we're talking about an air conditioner, that means one thing. If we're talking about, I don't know, the mind reels, <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's like, it's totally out of context. Like if you don't know there's a thing called an air conditioner, like you just don't know those words right. or you're, you know, maybe you're, you know, it's, you're in a, a country that has a language that you don't read. You don't know. And you're looking yeah, it's a classic example. Like you're reading a menu in a foreign country that has no pictures or anything. And I mean, I personally just eat at Denny's everywhere worldwide. So they have pictures, so it's fine. But <laughs> if they don't have pictures, you're like, I don't know what I want because I don't understand these words. And I, I feel like that's what a lot of, that's the state that a lot of, uh, especially software developers, they talk, they're speaking a foreign language when they talk about what's so great about them. So everyone's, it's like they're reading a, it's like their buyer almost needs a translator to understand what they're even talking about. I really uh, blame HR departments for this. Um, I, I think most of us, when we get into working for ourselves, have received some level of uh, implicit or explicit sort of training in marketing ourselves through the vehicle of a resume and, you know, like responding to job ads. That's essentially a form of marketing. Mm -hmm. And 
our training has been, well, you market yourself to this buyer who is uh, essentially an HR department or worse, an algorithm within the HR department that's going to scan your resume and try to match it up with something. And so we think in terms of feature lists, we think of ourselves, uh, I, this is particularly true with software developers, but I think other creative professionals as well. We're like, think of ourselves as a feature list. I have the following features. I know, you know, all these different uh, programming languages or I can write white papers and I can write case studies and I can do this and I can do that. And those are all essentially features. Yeah, like Which, ingredients. Right. And if you are happy to be competing in a commoditized market, uh, that may be, that may work for you uh, basically to, to market yourself in that way. But in my experience, more opportunity exists in the middle state of awareness where there's a pr an awareness of the problem and, but not a, uh, like some, not, people are not just looking for a buy button on a solution that they've essentially already decided upon or they are going to decide upon by comparing a feature list. And so that's where this sort of circles back to Jonathan's email. And there are, I think, I think if you had to, if you wanted, if you wanted to force yourself to make a rule of thumb about how you talk about yourself, you, you'll probably screw up less if you talk about yourself in terms of outcomes that you produce. This episode is sponsored by Ruby Dev Summit, coming October 16th through 23rd, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Ruby community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Uncle Bob Martin, Fabio Akita, and others covering topics from clean architecture to artificial intelligence and machine learning. The talks are happening throughout the day each day, and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to rubydevsummit.com. Yes. I agree. It, it, there's a thing in there that's implicit in that, which I, I think I only, it only became conscious recently in my mind. I should have, I should have recognized this and I kind of talk about it from another direction, but you can't do that effectively until, well, okay. You can't do that effectively until you decide who you're talking to. And that means picking a specific target market, which people don't want to do. Right. And it's, I knew that part, but here's the part that I'm sort of learning recently. It's, it's, I almost said impossible. It's probably impossible. It's very difficult to even understand how valuable what you do is unless you pick a target market, which is a, a slight but important difference. So when I talk to people, yeah, it's a big deal because when I talk to people, I'm like, well, why do people, why don't people not hire you? If you were the only one of you that did what you did, why would anyone hire you? Or why, what, how would their business be worse if they didn't hire you? And because people and don't people understand, like, they have no idea. They, they don't understand that because it's easy for them and it might be easy for them because they've spent many years practicing and training and getting better. But after that, they're sort of blind to like, well, well, doesn't everyone know this? Doesn't everyone understand the answer is no, they definitely right. do not. Right. And um, the more you know about your own craft, it's almost like the farther and farther away you are from being able to communicate with the people who you want to write checks to you. I've, yeah, I've unless you're conscious a, of it. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've recently come up with sort of a rule of thumb, which is when I'm teaching, if I use the word obvious or if I think something is obvious, that means it requires in-depth explanation. 
<laughs> because it's so like if something's obvious to me, then it's only after lots of thinking and working and doing on that subject. And we're all sort of, yeah, numb to how much time and effort we've spent thinking about our respective fields. Mm-hmm. And how, for people who are not there yet, like it's just gobbledygook. And if it's if it's gobbledygook that their business relies on, it might be a five minute thing for you. But for them, it's the difference between staying in business and not. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I was talking to a guy this morning that's a world-class DevOps networking guy. And I was trying to get him to, I was trying to sort of uncover by, you know, going through a kind of questioning process, what is an ideal market for someone who would benefit from his sorts of skills. And he's like, every market, anybody who can afford to hire me. And I was like, <laughs> okay, okay. And, he, you know, he's been funny about it, but he's, he had no answer. And I was like, okay, look at your past clients. Is there any pattern there? No, not really. And, you know, the verticals were all over the map. And I was like, well, what about, you know, what about the number of servers they had or the number of developers they had internally or the number of internal DevOps people they had? And we started to find some patterns there. And eventually, you know, yes, no matter who hires him, he's going to engage in almost the identical activities to execute his role and deliver some business outcome. But the problem that he is solving for, say, TechCrunch darling Silicon Valley startup versus a Ivy League uh, university in the United States, he might do the exact same thing for those two, those two people, but they have completely different problems that are solved with the same hammer, you know? So if he's going to market to, if he's not going to choose which one of those to market to, he's going to have nothing to say. All he can talk about is a bunch of acronym, you know, alphabet soup of things that he knows how to do. And that, I mean, it it couldn't, I I don't even understand what he does. It's like that opaque. And the, but, you know, to get back to the, the reason I went off down this hole is that without picking one of those two, let's just say one of those two, there were others, but without picking one of those two, he couldn't even estimate the value to the organization. That to a there's no there's no generic value, like the the worth of something is not an objective feature of the thing. It's it's only worth something to someone. So you kind of have to it's it's you have to know who you're talking to to know what it's worth to them. Yeah, it's always it's always within the context of a particular specific situation that hopefully is repeatable across a number of clients. That's what makes things like productized services possible, right? Right. You know, Jonathan, when you say that, when you say that, like, you know, the value of something is is based on them and it's very specific to them and everything. I think back to when I was in elementary school and we learned about the stock market and the teacher would say, okay, well, you know, someone wants to, you know, you have a share of a company and someone wants to buy it and someone else wants to sell it and they'll sort of figure out what it's worth. And I kept asking it just, I, I could not fathom how this could possibly work. Like, well, if it's worth, two dollars for you then it's worth two dollars for me right like how how can this not be the same and it's it's only many years later that i understand that i mean there are obviously many many reasons why people would buy or sell stocks or any other sort of thing but um no the value is not the same to different people for all those reasons right when we wanted to buy our house and i wanted to sell the stock i gotten as an hp employee right it was worth less to me i mean i wanted to make money off of it but at that point, it was more important to get a house, whereas someone else wanted it as an investment. So they bought it, I sold it, the broker made money in the middle, and so forth. 
Yeah, the, the language around this does not help at all. So like it's you could imagine, you know, I've got a, a car, it's 10 years old. Uh, it's probably time for a new one. And it's totally normal to imagine me typing in a search, you know, how much is a Land Rover worth? And right. but that doesn't even make sense. It does make sense, but it's not literal. So like it's not, you know, it's not worth a dime to somebody who already has enough cars. It's not worth a dime to somebody who doesn't like that brand. It's not worth a dime to somebody who doesn't have a license. When you say something like, how much is this worth? What you're really saying, I think, at least in the case of a car is how much am I likely to get for this from a dealer? You know, and they're, yeah. betting, you know, everybody's betting, everybody's betting on like, well, I could probably get this much for, you know, a car in this condition or it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's a car. It could be a used book. It could be anything. It's like, I can probably sell it at this price. That's really what you're saying. When you, when somebody says, how much is something worth? They're like, well, probably you can get this much for it. it which is a very different thing from what I think what happened, a very different thing from what I think happens in people's minds, which is that they translate it into an abstract value, like an objective you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not selling this car for less than $10,000 because that's the blue book value. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, maybe there are no buyers near you. Yeah. Right. You know? Yes. Yeah, the same thing with the air conditioner for my office. Like six months ago, uh, to me, that was worth zero dollars. <laughs> I, right. I didn't need it then. Now I'm going to fork over four or 500 bucks to get a good one. Yeah. Whole Foods was worth $14 billion to Amazon, but it's not worth 10 cents to me because I would, it would be a huge cost. It would destroy my life if, yeah. if I got Whole Foods for free. Right. <laughs> I don't think the words Whole Foods and free have ever been used in the same <laughs> sentence before. <laughs> Amen. In general, markets, this is a huge generalization, uh, but in general, markets progress from that sort of least aware of like you don't even know they have a problem. Like 10 years ago, nobody know, knew they needed DevOps. Now DevOps engineers can, you know, good ones can uh, sometimes name their price. iOS uh, apps, same thing. 10 years ago. Didn't exist. Let's abstract it a little bit. Apps that run on phones. The demand for those 10 years ago was like microscopic. If I mean, if it could even possibly be measured, right? Because... Mm -hmm. um, there just the wasn't, just there was no awareness that this is a problem. There's no awareness that there should be a solution for this problem we don't even know about in the first place. But things change uh, and, you know, things progress over time. And now there's this tremendous demand for iOS developers, which makes iOS developers feel like, sorry, y'all, but I'm going to say it makes you feel very smart and smug sometimes. And um, that's fine. Developers and, you know, <laughs> feel smart and smug? No, no, no. I just thought I, 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 I singled out iOS developers, you'll, you'll recall. <laughs> oh. Anyway, um, things will change and they will be in not that different a boat than uh, PHP or Rails developers at Flash. some point. I don't know when. Yeah, Flash developers, maybe. Although the, I think you could argue that Flash is a little different because the, the ecosystem itself kind of collapsed or the platform itself, the demand for that changed. But that could happen. I mean, Apple's not immune from that happening. From right. their platform it's, it's, going it's, it's a fair point, though. That's yeah. not what you're, you're not talking about the Flash thing. You're talking about, you're talking about the supply catching up with the demand. And, and since, you know, sales have topped out in smartphones, I mean, penetration is nearing 100%. So, you know, eventually it's going to be 
PHP is probably a great example where it's just like I can go into TopTal and just pick one or Upwork and just pick one. And to me, a, a, you know, to me, Mr. Average Client, maybe I'm a doctor and I've got an idea for an iOS app. I, 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 need, it. I need someone to develop an iOS app. That's probably called an iOS developer. So I'm going to search for iOS developer and I'm going to pick one that seems the best balance of reliability and, and affordability. Right. And, and not be smart enough or not, smart's the wrong word. Not because, you know, probably smart person, just not familiar with that industry. It's foreign to them. So they're not going to be educated enough about that industry to determine the subtle differences between somebody who's wants to charge a lot and someone who doesn't need to charge a lot or even better yet some t two people who might charge the same but one produces far better results than the other mm. so, so yeah what's, yeah what's the when you started off by talking about the kind of market changing out from underneath you and that absolutely i was nodding along vigorously because that's what happened to me with the mobile web where you know 2007 8 9 it was still in that stage five where nobody knew or care really about it. And, you know, big corporations didn't know or care about it. And then we moved into, they started to realize it was, a, they had some kind of problem or something that they needed to devote attention to. And then around 2010, I was printing money and then, you know, for a couple of years and then all of a sudden IBM and Deloitte and McKinsey had, you know, a thousand department team of people doing the same thing. And now all of a sudden the pond, the pond went from zero to small enough to be a big fish mm -hmm. to the entire ocean. Yeah. That's a great, great, uh, progression. I mean, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great example. So well, let's bring it back to Julie though, because, or if, if or perhaps an example that, cause I agree with you that there are exceptions to this, to the, the Julie scenario. So the advice that I gave to her, I, I, think is applicable for her situation. But what might be an example of someone who might be listening to this show that perhaps is in that small pond phase where, where the, that blob of awareness in the middle isn't, is still on the early side. Yeah. A couple come to mind. And if I had more free time, I would have a bigger list of these. DevOps is, is I think largely still in that phase of awareness of like, okay, people know that th there's a, a, there's a, a pretty broad awareness of DevOps can solve the following sets of problems, but it's not a, a, in, in my experience, a commoditized market. So where I was saying, well, well, Jonathan, excuse me, but there's some edge cases to your advice. <laughs> I always go for the edge cases. It's, I don't know if that's a cheap shot or just the way my mind works, but you know, there are edge cases where uh, like conversion rate optimization, I think was one of those for a while where it was just like, if you could credibly say you can increase conversion rates, then people would seek you out and find you or, or respond to your direct outreach much more positively than someone would respond to an outreach from, let's say, uh, an SEO company operating overseas or a writer or what have you, right? So... I think digital transformation is maybe a less commoditized market that comes to mind. Those were, those were just really my only two examples right now. I think there are others. Yeah. I, I just onboarded a, a mentoring student who is, who has as much street cred 
almost as much street cred as you could possibly have in tracking hand gestures in VR. So it, that was the first thing that came to mind when you were talking about this, because the, the buyer must know, you, you would think the buyer knows they need this, you know, that they're tracking hand gestures in this VR environment that they're creating. And if in that scenario, like what do they I'm trying to think of like, you know, how is this? It feels different to me because we've talked about vertical specialization versus horizontal specialization. And this feels like a variation on that where, where he is a specialist at a very particular thing and the pond, the pond is, you know, I think clear that the pond is still in the very small phase. It's like a lot of hype and talk and headlines and stuff, but there's not, it's not like, it's not where it's going to be almost certainly. Yeah, I think computer, so, computer vision is, uh, I mean, that's kind of the, what you mentioned maybe is a subset of computer vision. That's another good example of, I think, a market that's not at all commoditized. I talked to someone last week who is writing a book on uh, GPU processing for mm -hmm. uh, iOS or iPhone hardware. Mm -hmm. and, or uh, iPad, iPhone. Anyway, um, and, and they were sort of saying it's uh, like, when is this going to start working? I think was basically their question. I'm like, well, wait till your book's out and things are going to change because that's also not a commoditized market in terms of people who have expertise in that and are out there as freelancers. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, he'll he'll be snapped up in a moment because he'll be seen as an expert. And even if there are a thousand such experts in the world, they are all in such high demand because everyone wants to do that. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at something called the Gartner Hype Cycle, H-Y-P-E, it kind of maps out how this looks over time. So uh, I'll do my best to describe this verbally. So uh, when a technology is brand new, you get this sort of hockey stick uh, increase in interest and excitement and um, not quite demand because the people, the types of clients who will rush to implement something bleeding edge are actually pretty few. That's the early adopter stage of the market. But the, in the Gartner hype cycle, this is depicted as like a hockey stick up and to the right. And then it peaks. And that's the peak of the early hype, the sort of headlines, the articles saying this is a second coming. This is probably where still, uh, actually, uh, I'm going to say big data is probably now on the downward slope towards what's called the trough of disillusionment. <laughs> it's such a poetic, <laughs> awesome name for this stage of things where it's realized, oh, those expectations, those early expectations were hyperbole. They were overblown the real thing is not going to do everything we thought it was going to do. And like, I remember this with thin clients back in uh, some, somewhere in the nineties. You guys remember that thin clients? Oh my God. Flashback. Just, I, I'm trying to remember where I was working. I can't, don't remember what we bought some incredible number of thin client right. machines from, I think it was sun. Yeah. Um, and I think they never were unpacked from the boxes because the hype dissipated before we could even unpack the machines. Yeah. Yeah. So that company bought them on probably they didn't get the memo that they were on the decline of the hype cycle. And, and the hype cycle doesn't take like a week to unfold. It it takes multiple years. So you, you slide towards the trough of disillusionment where everybody's like, oh, that was a load of crap, man. I don't know. But there is a bounce back from that, not to the same level as the original 
uh, peak of the sort of frothy excitement about it, but it stabilizes and it becomes a mature technology and people understand what it can and cannot do. And they understand, they have a more realistic assessment of its value to the organization and its role within uh, the world of technology. So that, that sort of maps in a way to what we've been talking about, about states of awareness. Like it's, it's not like a real precise mapping, but I would just say to freelancers to turn this into some form of advice, know where the heck you, you are in, in these states of awareness, where your market is, the clients you're selling to, because it matters so much. It just, it just matters tremendously, I think. And corollary to that, or side note anyway, is that if you are, you know, if you're a copywriter, this does not apply to you. You know, like, well, not that it doesn't apply. Uh, what I was about to, what I'm about to say next, it doesn't apply to, which is if you're on this like leading edge curve of say VR, AI or something like that, and you're sort of well-known or become well-known to a, in a small tight knit community, then yeah, you're, you know, you're writing an O'Reilly book. Yeah. You might get plucked out by somebody who is, um, you know, really, really spending a crazy amount of money to be bleeding edge here with somebody like Ikea or Domino's or Google or Facebook. And you know, you're going to get, you're going to get called in to be the big brain in the room on this particular subject. But odds are really good that that is a, the most temporary phase of it. Because if what you're doing, because what you're doing is either going to bear fruit relatively quickly. And, you know, we're talking 18 months to 24 months, you know, it's going to, it's going it, to, we're still talking years, but it's going to either die. Uh, I was talking to a, you know, just, to, just randomly, I was talking to a Go developer the other day and he was like, man, the awareness of Go is really dropping off. I don't know if I, I might, might've picked the wrong direction. Uh, you know, so you, you could have, I'm not saying that's happening, but, but he felt that way. Mm -hmm. So you could be in a situation like that, or you could be in a situation where, you know, it's like I was where like mobile web turned out to be a big thing or mobile, you know, mobile user experience, mobile interfaces turned out to be a really big thing. But then it blew out from under me, you know, where it turned into like the entire galaxy of, of software services, like became the primary computing platform on, on planet earth. Mm -hmm. So every single person, you know, that is in software is now in the mobile game. So I, that's why I kind of, I'm like, kind of like, I'm not, you're right, but it makes me nervous <laughs> because it's, it, I feel like it leads to this false sense of security of like, okay, I'm just going to keep sharpening my tools and stay cutting edge. And then I'll, and then I'll have a business built for myself. But that's not, I, I never, that's not the pattern I see. You know, the pattern I see is like, yeah, that happens sometimes. And then and you just have a really long feast cycle. Right. And then the famine cycle is, is worse because you're just so unprepared for it. Yeah. I mean, there's still COBOL developers who can make a living from that. Right. Um, I'm, I'm sure they're, they're, the dynamic of their market's different than it was in, um, 1998 and 1999 when they sort of, they, they, they got called back into, uh, you know, be the A, A team at that time. Mm -hmm. So it's not that a market, I mean, markets, I guess, die, like, but, but they also change. Like there's still, I'm, I guarantee you there's still some premium manufacturer of buggy whips. <laughs> okay. But <laughs> well, there's yeah, probably just flips. one of them. Yeah. It, it flips because the supply goes back 
to approaching zero. Right. Yeah. And the one who's still doing it got into it with a completely different strategy, like producing, um, you know, uh, artisanal boutique, buggy whip, artisanal yeah. boutique bu- buggy whips, or they just, uh, you know, they just kind of la- outlasted everybody lady. else. <laughs> yeah. Or they outlasted everybody else or anyway. So, uh, uh, yeah, Marcus change. Marcus change. Yeah, that's the that's the takeaway. I was thinking the same thing. So, what does that mean, folks? It means you need to constantly be paying attention, <laughs> working working on your marketing, working on your business, not just your. I I just I just I have such a hard time advocating working on your skills. You're like your you know, craft. It's like you need but, to be but, good. So okay, so be good. Get good at your thing. But the the but imagining that just being a whether it's a iOS developer or a copywriter, imagining that you're just great at your craft, like wow, look at how clever my that headline is, or wow, look at how elegant that code is. That has got such a that's such a dead end. Like it takes you pretty far, but then it's just boom. It's like this you hit the wall. And if you if and, and if if you're fine with that, then cool. Like if that's the, if that ceiling is cool with you, your income ceiling that you get from that, uh, it's just, it just scares me. But, but there's a difference here, right? Like, like if you're constantly, if your goal is help companies of a certain sort to achieve certain goals, then you're always going to be sharpening your skills and finding new skills and so forth. But that's okay because you're still like your ultimate pursuit is helping companies in the same way. You're just using different tools to achieve the same goal. You change tools a lot faster. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and so being wedded to a certain tool is the danger there. But if you are, you know, if you're every every month, every year saying, okay, I can see that the tool I was using before is now sort of out of fashion. What new tools can I use to achieve the same goal? Well, then you're learning new stuff, which is necessary in technology and in general in consulting. You got to be ahead of the pack. And um, kind of fun. And fun, absolutely, absolutely. And you're going to be able to help your clients more because someone somewhere is going to say, hey, uh, I've heard I can use you know, tool XYZ to solve my problem. What do you think? And you'll actually have something to tell them and they'll say, oh, well, that, that's great. Yeah, yeah, listen up, Ember developers. Yeah. <laughs> Why, you don't think Ember's going anywhere? Or you think yeah, it's JavaScript going away? frameworks in general seem to change every six weeks. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, I mean, the tools are, are part of the package. But the package is called expertise or ability to create, you know, to improve the client's condition, I guess to rip off uh, Alan Weiss's nice way of packaging that up. Basically to create change in a way that is beneficial and people will see value in. And um, yeah, for sure, like facility with tools and somewhat something between competent, competence and mastery is a part of that. But I guess my perspective on it, or the way I'd say it, I don't think it's really different than what you guys are repping. It's just, it's bigger than just the the tools. It's bigger than just those skills, or it's bigger than just, so you're looking for a writer. And it, and it could be, but without knowing your, your target market or the kind of buyer you're trying to appeal to, you can't really go beyond. So you're looking for a writer and say something like, so you're... Um, your website isn't selling very well or so your customers aren't coming back or whatever. Like those are, 
that that middle state of awareness. And I guess if there's one thing I might generalize about it's I think that's where more opportunity is for self-employed people. Because if people already know the solution they want, they're going to be the kind of clients that are those clients from hell, right? They're going to be micromanaging you every step of the way. <laughs> they're going to be asking for returns and refunds as we do on Amazon when something doesn't seem to fit the description, etc. Well, how's that for a show? <laughs> Not too bad, huh? That sounds good to me. Deep, <laughs> deep. Man. Anyone who's still listening will will agree, I presume. My aura is even purpler. <laughs> Philip bruised my aura. <laughs> Sorry, man. I agree. I agree with the email, but I just thought it was a fun opportunity to go a little deeper on a very small, a very, I think, important subtlety. Absolutely. Philip, mm-hmm. so, you got any picks for us this week? This episode is sponsored by Angular Dev Summit, coming September 11th through the 18th, 2017. Hi, it's Chuck from devchat.tv. I reached out to some of my friends in the Angular community to put on a completely free, no travel conference for Ruby developers. We have speakers like Rob Wermald, Jeff Welpley, and others coming to speak about all kinds of topics in Angular. So if you're trying to learn Angular or you're trying to level up Angular, come check it out. The talks are happening throughout the day each day and we'll have a chat available during each session. Attending the talks is free, but you need to register. Go to angulardevsummit.com. I'll pick Breakthrough Advertising by Eugene M. Schwartz. I guess it's kind of not cool to pick something that's hard to get. I got this from this guy named Brian Kurtz, who is a direct marketing guy. And I don't know, maybe... That would be like, you can buy used copies of the book on Amazon, but if they're first editions, they go for like collector prices rather than working professional prices. <laughs> so it's it's a book that's, uh, I think, literally worth oh, far more than $100, but not easy to get at that price. And so I'm, I feel bad, but I guess that's my pick for this week. It's, it's a good book in in the way that a lot of books like uh, Al Reese's book on positioning, for example, is a good book. The examples are super out of date, but if you can see what's behind them and kind of look at the principles and apply them to your business, I think it's relevant uh, even to perhaps even a beginner freelancer could find some value in it. So that's my pick for this week. Excellent. Jonathan, what you got? Yes, I might have picked this before, but I'm going to pick it again. The Expanse, which is a sci-fi series of books and now also a TV show. Uh, if I picked it before, I apologize for picking again, but I am on to, I think it's the sixth book now, and it just doesn't stop being amazing. It's the easily the best sci-fi series I've ever read. It's so great. And when I say read, I've been listening to it on Audible. Great performance. It's just unbelievable. If, if you are, are into, th- if you like The Martian or uh, sort of, it's it's in the future, but it's not crazy sci-fi. You know, physics are still real. They don't have transporter beams and stuff like that. Uh, it's, it's, you know, they don't have lasers, really. I mean, they have lasers the way we have lasers now, but they don't have like Star Wars lasers. So it's sort of realistic in a sense, like, you know, on a timeline that you could imagine in the next 300 years. And it just is so good. It's just so good. 
there's something for everyone there. So check out the expanse book. Number one's called Leviathan wakes and it's just fabulous. As far as I'm concerned, you can pick that every week for forever. That is just, I agree. It's just, I mean, it's mind bogglingly good. Yeah. So, okay. Wow. So there's that. Yeah. It's fabulous. I'm going to say I, I've, I've watched the show, uh, both seasons of the show, but, um, Hmm. I've heard I've watched, I started the first, yeah, I've heard, I started the first, sh- first season and the pacing's a little off. The story's a little off. It's got all the parts. I don't think I would have liked it as much had I not read the books. So yeah, typical book TV type of situation. The book, the books are just shockingly good. I mean, I, I'm, I can't, I'll probably start, go back to listening after we hang up here. Uh, the other thing I want to let people know, this isn't for everyone, but, uh, I recently launched a new mentoring program. It's uh, six months of unlimited access for $3,500. So this is, this is perfect for people who are probably, you know, kind of advanced in their career. Maybe they've been working solo for, you know, five, 10 years, but I want to let people know about that because there's, I, I only have a couple of seats left and hopefully by the time people hear this, there still will be. So if there's anybody in the audience who's a little bit more experienced and, uh, and might be interested in chatting, then that is the number one and probably only way to do it these days. Uh, and that's it for me. How, how, how would they find out more about this, Jonathan? I should probably, I should probably see the link, shouldn't I? <laughs> uh, yeah. Expensiveproblem.com slash mentoring. There we go. Not finding the link would be an expensive problem, I'd say. <laughs> that was my scarcity. I was going to leave it like, <laughs> how do we help me? <laughs> the web is short on links. Um, <laughs> all right. So for my big, so I just, I just came back uh, last night from uh, uh, Brennan Dunn's uh, W Freelancing Conference in Stockholm, which was amazing and the last of its kind. So if you missed it, Ha ha, you're out, you're out of luck. <laughs> um, and so while I was there, um, basically what, one of the, the great things about the conference was the last four or five hours of the, the last day of Sunday afternoon, uh, we all spent time implementing stuff. Everyone has sort of been thinking about what they want to do and everyone sort of tried to put together something. I don't think anyone actually shipped necessarily, but people came up with all sorts of really great stuff. Um, it was interesting to sort of go around and talk about it as well. So my thing was, uh, I think uh, people here know that I have this list, Mandarin Weekly, um, so I'm going to start monetizing it. I'm going to start offering subscriptions. Uh, basically, by the time you hear this, it should have been going for a few weeks already for people to limit what they're interested in um, in terms of levels. So you know, beginner, intermediate, advanced level of Chinese, as well as different um, topics. So I'm sort of excited to be able to get that together. And that's partly because I've been doing recurring. Um, I've learned how to do uh, recurring payments um, from, from my other list. In any event, from the weekly Python exercise. In any event, as part of this, I learned about the Drip API, the JavaScript API. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I must say I have not seen something with such potential in a long time. And I'm just reeling by the possibilities of what you can do in terms of programs, interacting with your mailing list and what information is collected about people. Um, it's one of these things where I've only scratched the surface. But um, if you're a developer and you're interested in having some interactions between your mailing list and a website and what interests people have, what pages they've seen and what tags they have, it is extremely worthwhile to look at and play with the JavaScript API. I only did for those few hours there, but I, I, I'm really quite blown away. And it's, um, 
it, it's a reason why I'm uh, and now even happier that I'm using Drip rather than one of the other systems out there. So I'll put a link to that in the uh, show notes. And if people have really cool ideas for what to do with it, uh, I'd certainly be interested because I'm looking to expand my use of it also. And I guess that brings us to the end of the show. Thanks to all of you for listening. Philip, Jonathan, thanks for the great discussion as usual. And uh, we'll be back next week on The Freelancer Show. Awesome. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.